0: Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word.
1: How many of you like to watch CSI? Maybe Law & Order? Uh, now we know what kind of sick, twisted people you are, all right i'm telling my wife and i uh, we were we were watching uh, CSI years and years ago, and of course, they blur everything so you can 't see anything that 's kind of gruesome, uh, but they had a, a a person there laying on underneath the sheet, and uh, you kind of understand what the situation was there and, and and I just looked at my wife and said i can 't watch this i 'm getting nauseous watching this thing, and it 's blurred." Man, and then years later, I found myself as a juror. How many are grateful uh, to, for the opportunity to serve as a juror? Some of you are. Uh, some of you, not so much. And, and I remember being uh, pulled from the selection pool and into uh, this, uh, this room where they were trying to decide on the 12 that would sit on this, uh, this juror, uh, juror. And uh, we've got a, a lawyer here. I've already apologized to him. I already said, listen, I'm sorry. I'm going to butcher some terms today. I'm sorry, but I'll do my best. And so I'm sitting in this courtroom and, and the judges and, and the prosecuting attorney and, the, uh, and everyone is trying to go through and, and decide which jurors to select. And they begin to tell us about this, this, uh, this case. And it was going to be a case tried against a man who shot another guy with a shotgun. And I'm sitting here thinking, I don't want to see this. I'm thinking, I don't know. i have to bring my own bag so I know what to do with uh, you know, everything that comes with it. And I'm sitting here thinking, I just can't do it. So those types of things don't always maybe appeal to us. But when we come to Romans chapter 3, we find ourselves almost entering to the courtroom. And so we I just entitled this Court is in Session. Court can be a funny place, can be a gruesome place, sometimes it can just be a boring place. And there's some funny stories that come out of court cases over the years. And there was a judge, I believe it was down in Texas in 1986, uh, that uh, wanted to have a little fun with a, uh, a, a ruling that he had made in 86 Opinion. It was in United States versus Batson, and he got a little poetic with his ruling here. And he said, Some farmers from Gaines had a plan. It amounted to quite a big scam. But the payments for cotton began to smell rotten. It was a mug- mugging of poor Uncle Sam. And I just thought, man, that is a hilarious, I, Uncle Sam's not poor, but it was just kind of funny to think, man, he could have some fun with this day to day. There's another man who was caught cheating, or excuse me, was caught speeding, and he went before the circuit judge there, and, and the judge said, how do you plead?" He says, not guilty, and he says, well, you were clocked doing 86 and a 55, and he says, well, listen, it's not my fault, I had stiff shoes on, I couldn't feel the pedal. You should try that next time you go to court, I don't know if it worked for him. There's a man named George. He sued his, uh, his physician because the surgeon had uh, repaired the back of his hand and put a skin graft on there, but he chose it from his chest. The only problem was the skin graft from the chest. He, was a, he had a hairy chest. Now he has a hairy hand. And so he sued him for the difference between a hairy hand and a regular hand. I, I don't know what he got out of that. You know, court can be a funny place, but it will not be funny on that day when we stand before the Lord if you don't know Jesus Christ. You see, in Romans chapter 3, as we have walked through this beginning of, of Romans, the, the Apostle Paul has just, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, laid out the guilt of every single person. There's been a charge that has been made. There has been charge after charge after charge, both to the, the person who just re- rejects God, to the person who says, listen, I'm morally okay, I'm, I'm doing fine. The one who even maybe is religious. Listen, I go to church every week, I, I pay my tithes, I wear a shirt and, shirt and tie. Listen, I've got everything together religiously. And he says, listen, there's a charge against every single one of these made. And today as we come into this, uh, this area in Romans chapter 3, what we realize is that Romans answers an important question. Is the world lost? And this is very important for us to realize today. Because we live in a world that says, listen, I'm okay. I don't need your religion. I don't need this Bible. I don't need this Jesus. I'm doing okay. I'm just fine like I am. Thank you very much. And you know, when we look around this and we have all these material possessions, we think, well, yeah, I'm doing fine. I've got this and I've got that. Listen, I've got everything I want. My family is doing good. And I just want to encourage you that as Paul, the Apostle Paul lays out here, he says, listen, when we come down to the bottom line. It's not about what you uh, have on the outside. It's about what you have on the inside. The Apostle Paul lays out for us no matter if the heathen, the hypocrite, the Hebrew, listen, they're all equally guilty before God. And so we're just going to uh, skim, look at, look at a couple of things. We're going to read this text in its entirety in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9. But look at verse number 10. He says, There is none righteous. So, how many Jews, how many Gentiles are righteous? He says, There's none. Verse 11, there is none. Verse 12, there is none. Verse 12 again, there is none. Then there's a question, how many of us are sinners? And he said in verse number 9, all are sinners. Verse 12, all. Verse number 19, all. Notice four times he says none are righteous. Three times uh, that he says that all are guilty. And so God brings his condemnation against man. There's a completeness in this charge. And there's a complete indictment of evil here. So let's look at Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9. He says in Romans 3 and verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jew and Gentile, that they are all under sin. As it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none that understandeth. there is none that seeketh after God they are all gone out of the way they are all together become unprofitable there is none that doeth good no not one their throat is an open, open sepulcher their tongue have they used with their tongue they have used deceit the poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And now we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We're going to stop there today. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Lord, thank you for um, what you reveal to us here because it uh, lays out for us the greatest need that we have for an advocate. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Lord, without him there would be no hope. If the Bible stopped right there, Lord, it would be a, a hopeless situation. So we thank you for our, uh, your Son and our Savior. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Now draw us close to Him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In this section of Scripture, we find ourselves in a courtroom, if you will. There's a criminal on trial, and you and I are that criminal. The very terms that are used are are legal terms that are used here. And as so, there are several elements involved in this human trial that we can maybe uh, glean from as well as we look at this passage. And the very first thing is there is a charge. And and very often following the charge, and the charge is just saying they've been accused of this crime. And then there is an indictment. And that is a formal, carefully written and prepared uh, statement that says they are guilty of this charge and this charge and this charge. And, and I'm sure uh, our resident lawyer will correct me later, but I'm just saying that there is an indictment that comes after the charge. Maybe you've heard of some of these things after uh, or in the last few weeks regarding uh, former President Trump, regarding indictments and charges and all of those things. And so those terms can, can kind of sound familiar. But then we see there is an opportunity for the, for the accused to make a defense for himself. And we'll see that here in the Scripture as well. And then finally, there is a verdict that is brought down that specifies a guilty or not guilty plea. So let's look first at the charge here this, this morning in Romans verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse number 9. As he starts here, he says, what then? Are we better than they? And so he's just got done talking about the guilt of the Hebrew. And there's even Hebrews who say, listen, I, I, I've been I've been perfect. I've always kept the law. I've never, never erred. But even uh, if we go to Romans chapter five and verse number 12, he reminds us that sin entered into the world uh, by uh, excuse me. Uh, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. And so this guilty charge was placed upon us even at birth. And so Paul begins in this section, he starts with this thought, What then? Paul is summing up all that's gone on before this place. He has talked to the heathen, he's talked to the hypocrite, and and even the Hebrew, and those that consider themselves moral, or those who are trusting in his religion and his ceremonies. And he says, at the end of all of this, you have to realize the fact that, that none of us are any different. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. I was thankful for my upbringing. I was thankful for my mom and dad who brought me, uh, brought me to church every week when I became a teenager. It was more of a drug to church every week for issue. But regardless, they were faithful to the Lord and they loved the Lord Jesus Christ, but their faith didn't automatically make it my faith. I had to personally accept Christ in my life. Listen, you may have come from a home and a situation where your background was not conducive to going to church, and, and no one in your home was, uh, was uh, just eager about Christ. And let me just encourage you it, it, the background doesn't matter because when we stand before the Lord at the cross, we realize that we're all the same. It's all even, it's the same. And so he comes to this question Are we better than they? Just because we're more religious or more moral, are we better off than those that gives themselves to every desire of the flesh? And his astounding answer echoes back through the century, and he just says, no, absolutely not. Psalms chapter 14 and verse number 3, as he quotes from this passage, he says, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You see, the sad truth is, is we can't be perfect. It's impossible for us to be perfect. So you, it's almost like, and if you were to argue back and forth, if this is a two-way conversation, you might say, well, pastor, it just seems like God sets us up to fail. But here's the good news is that the story doesn't end with that. It doesn't end with just this condemnation. It doesn't end with just this charge or this in, these indictments. But instead, there is another part of the story. And, and that's the glorious part we'll get to at the end of the message today. But in Judges, what we see is sometimes we say, Well, listen, I'm just going to follow my heart. I'm going to follow the things that I want to do. You see, the problem with that is that we are incapable of doing right. And so the most graphic and terrible illustrations comes from the days of Judges. In Judges chapter 17 and also chapter 21, we see this statement that is made twice. In verse number 6, he says, "...in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes." He didn't do what was wrong in his own eyes. He did that which was right. And so in this moment, even when every man was doing what they called was right, it produced one of the most dark and most terrible times of Israel's history. Many people think, listen, my behavior is right. What I'm doing is there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And so maybe by human standards, if I was to compare myself to somebody else, maybe the, the inmate on death row, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I, I'm not behind bars. I'm doing all right. No big deal. But God doesn't compare me to the, to the man behind bars on death row. God compares my life to Christ. You see, the standard is not someone else. The standard is Jesus. And that, that standard is perfect. John Phillips said this, The life of the Lord Jesus simply shows us how crooked and defiled our own lives really are that's an amazing statement you see the problem is Paul lays out this charge All are under sin, and the thought of being under sin is a striking phrase, and it means that not only are we under sin, but also under all that goes with it. So, example, sin has guilt. We are under the guilt of our sin. Sin has power. We're under its power and under its control. Sin has condemnation. As a result, we bear the weight of that, and sin also has its doom. And we read in Revelation that that doom will come to all those who reject Jesus. And so Paul is saying that every one of these people, Jew, Gentile, heathen, doesn't matter, is under the guilt of sin, under the power of sin, the condemnation and doom of sin. We are all guilty. So that's the charge that's been made. Now the next uh, element in the procedural, in the procedure is this of the charges that are formally written, the indictments. Oftentimes we see this, a grand jury will listen to the charges that are made and they'll create an indictment. And so verses number 10 through 18 lays out this indictment. And it's oftentimes uh, we see the Apostle Paul quotes from Psalms 14 as well as Psalms 53 and from the, uh, Isaiah. But what he does is he takes these scriptures and he paints a picture of all that we are. Listen, sometimes we get ourselves convinced, hey, I'm not that bad. I'm doing okay. But you see, the problem is is that, again, when we lay out these indictments, what we're going to find is, maybe I'm not as good as I once was. And that's what the Apostle Paul does. So let's look here. We see the very first thing that he deals with is righteousness. In verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so the world has talked a great deal about righteousness. As a matter of fact, it has talked about righteous men and righteous nations, but how many are there? How many righteous people are in this world? God says there are none. Because what is being righteous? Being righteous means not just being right, but being perfectly right. Man, could you imagine uh, having an argument with your, with your wife or discussion with your wife or your spouse and knowing that you've never been wrong? That would sure change things, wouldn't it? But listen, the problem is is that none of us are righteous. None of us are always perfectly right. There have been times where, where I have been wrong and even grossly wrong. And so where is the man, where is the nation that is right in the light of God's standards? And the Bible is clear, there is none righteous. The next thing that he brings up is this idea of understanding. Verse number 11, there is none that understandeth. You know, we're a generation that boasts in, in the plur, 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 proliferation of knowledge. We we pull out our cell phone. Hey, you want to know? You want to know a statistic from 1932? Siri can answer that for me. Uh, man, you want to know uh, what the batting average was of Babe Ruth? Man, uh, Siri can answer that. Uh, no problem. It's great. Now, we have knowledge at our fingertips. Uh, we we love this uh, this privilege. But the problem is, is that having knowledge and understanding the things of God are not the same things. And so Paul answers this later in the, in the, when he writes the, the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians two fourteen, he says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Listen to what he says. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, what we see is Satan has blinded the eyes of those in this world so they cannot grasp the things of God. Again, he says later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse number 4, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them." And so there is this derangement in mentality. This, there, there's a lack of spiritual comprehension and so we have every evidence that, that man is, is smart. I, aren't you grateful there are brilliant people in this world? Man, my, I love to go out in the parking lot and not saddle up a horse, but to get in uh, my truck where there's 300 horses and there are, uh, there's air conditioning and there's comfort and there's uh, every luxury I could ever imagine packed into one small space. Isn't that nice? That's a blessing. I love that. I'm so glad on, on those days when it's 20 degrees, I don't have to bundle up, jump on a horse, and ride home for you know, from the 10 miles it is to the house. Man, that's a blessing. So man is smart, but the problem is that this, this intelligence in, in the, uh, the man that is not saved does not always connect the dots with spiritual things. So despite our genius in many different realms... Man betrays a a lot of times a denseness in the spiritual realm. Why? Because he has no natural understanding in this at all. His mind then is, is incisive in so many ways. It's warped, it's twisted. And so the Bible comes and he says, listen, there is none that understandeth. Then he makes another charge here, this next indictment. He says, there is none that seeketh after God. Throughout the world, pagan temples are filled with worshipers. They seek after a God, but not the Lord God. There are people today even that are on the lake and they say, Listen, pastor, there's no reason to go to church. I can worship God on the water. Well, they are worshiping a God. It's just not the God of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, of verse 20, he says, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrificed, they sacrificed to devils and not to God, and I would not that you should have fellowship with the devils. Listen, you know what he said? He said, listen, we worship something. You have to decide what you're going to worship. The natural inclination is not to worship the God of the Bible. The natural inclination is to worship the God of self, the God of this world. You see, behind the false beliefs of this world is, is the God of this world, the devil. Religion apart from regeneration, is vain. Some people shop around from one religious system to another. Well, I'll go be Buddhist today, I'll go be Hindu tomorrow, I'll go uh, try yoga, I'll try this, I'll try that. But listen, uh, you, you shop until you find something. If you don't like what you find, then you just make one up, and then you can become wealthy. That's what one person said. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, and he says this, And you shall seek me, and what? Find me. When you shall search for me with all your heart. God likens us to lost sheep. A sheep is an animal that's not smart in, in many ways. It's not swift. It's not strong. It, it doesn't have the power or inclination even to seek its shepherd once it's strayed. And yet the shepherd has given his son the Scriptures in his spirit to seek after us. And it says Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. I'm so grateful for what God has done for us. The next indictment against us is that verse number 12, we are turned aside. He says, they are all gone out of the way. This idea here is that of a traveling caravan that has gotten off the route and instead of staying on the path to safety, where there is water, where there is nourishment, where others have gone, there's no danger. Instead, they get off the route, they deviate from the right way and they end up in in a wrong location at the end. And so he says, listen, they have all gone out of the way. They have turned aside from what God wants, from them. Listen, I just want to warn you today, maybe you've turned aside a little bit. It's just a little bit of a turn but God says, listen, only Jesus Christ offers us the way of salvation. Only His way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way. And so if you're turned aside, that means you're trying a different way. And Christ says, listen, I'm the only way. But we look in verse number 12. Once again, we see they're unprofitable. They are all together, they are together become unprofitable. Now this Greek word is used to translate a Hebrew word and the original Hebrew word is one that's used to speak of milk that is turned sour. It doesn't say that God made man originally in the way he is now but rather he became that way if you will. And so there's there's no way for our good deeds to magically outweigh our bad deeds because he's bad all the way through. It's kind of like trying to say okay listen I've got some sour milk in the refrigerator but if we just pour off the top part of it we'll get to the good stuff at the bottom. It doesn't work like that, does it? If I've sour milk, it's soured all the way through. And Paul himself boasted in his religious gains until God showed him how utterly worthless were all the things in which he was trusting Philippians chapter 3, before he comes to verse number 10, which is our theme verse this year, he says this, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. What was he talking about? His religious belief systems, his ceremonial law, all of these things that he had rested in. And he says this, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know what Paul found? He said, listen, uh, there's nothing good in me, but this is what I found, that God loves me in spite of that. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be uh, the payment for my sins. He goes on, though, in verse number 12, and he just keeps, he keeps laying these indictments out. And the next one is, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Look at the the course of this life in the phrase, doeth good. We talk about men doing good, and yet God says there's none that doeth good. This meaning is more than just, hey, I did a good deed for someone. This is the course of a man's life. There's none of us that has been perfect, that has done good all of our life. We've all at some point erred. We've all at some point gone out of the way. And it gets a little more personal now in verse number 13. Maybe a little bit more graphic in his illustration in this next indictment. It says, their throat is an open sepulcher. What is an open sepulcher? Well, in the east, the grave of a buried person was sometimes left open. And so this could be a dangerous situation. People coming along at night might fall in or stumble in. And so Paul says that that is what their throat is often like. And so James said this about the tongue in James chapter 3, verse 6 through 8. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue of, among our members, that it defileth the whole body and set, on fire, uh, uh, and set on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. Every kind of beasts and birds and serpents of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the ta- tongue can no man tame. It is an unru- unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know, we can defile ourselves and other people with what we say. In, that, in reality, the words of some people uh, emanate with a stench like that decaying body. I, I just heard this week of a man who had posted uh, some, very, uh, some terrible things uh, on, uh, on his social media, and as a result, the FBI came in and, uh, and killed him. Uh, You know, what we say has an effect. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Listen, you may think your words don't have any weight, but your words make a difference. And it goes on in verse number 13, not just a graveyard throat, but now he says there is a deceitful tongue. Verse 13, he said, with their tongues, they have used deceit. Listen, sometimes we use our mouth to curse uh, and others will use deceit. Someone once said, honey draws more flies than vinegar. And so sometimes people use their mouth and maybe they sugar you up at the same time uh, intending to destroy your life. And we can be guilty of those things. And this is what the Apostle Paul is warning of. The next indictment here is that of poisonous lips. And he says in verse number 13, the poison of asps is under their lips. The poison of the asps was stored in a bag underneath the lips. Uh, And and like this deadly poison, so can our speech be. And again, he hammers this again as he talks about the cursing mouth. Verse 14, he says, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Listen, there are are men and women in this world who have never opened their mouth except to utter an oath. And there's others who have never spoken an oath, but those things are hidden in the heart of man. Man, the Bible says, is full of this cursing and bitterness. But it doesn't stop there. Not just your mouth, but that translates to other parts of the body too. Verse 15, he says, "...their feet are swift to shed blood." So we see this swift feet here. And so this picture, this, this is a picture that draws on the condition of our time. And it's true, uh, it's true today as we look around us, it seems like our world is just pushing faster and faster into war. Our feet are swift to do violence. Verse 16, he goes on, another indictment that's been made. He said, destruction and misery are in their ways. Wherever man walks, there are destruction, there are misery. You only have to read history to find out or follow uh, all the telecasts even of today and see these things. Peace is unknown, verse number 17, and the way of peace have they not known Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because He is unknown to much of the world today, His way of peace is also unknown. Verse 18, there is no fear of God. There is no fear of God before the eyes. Verse 18 is what it says. Solomon says in the book of Proverbs that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Perhaps the source of all other sins is found in this last indictment here. Because without a reverent, reverential fear for God, there is an absence of wisdom. There is an increasing mental confusion. There is a moral and spiritual darkness. When we don't fear the Lord, when we don't love Him with all of our heart, let me tell you, church, then we are, uh, we are in trouble today. And so as he's painted all these indictments, 14 of them to be exact, the awful picture is, is very gross in the sight of God and man. Man is depraved. He's he's in a sad place in his character, his speech, his conduct. And I just want to encourage you that as we look at this, we see that that he lays all this out from chapter 1 to chapter 3, and he brings it all to a funnel right here at the end. And he says, there is none righteous. Look in verse number 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You see, there's no escape from this conviction or from this indictment here. And so now we stand before this courtroom and we must give a defense. And and most people would try to finagle their way. And uh, and in a human court, whenever we see someone, the charge has been made. There's indictment that's been given. The prisoner then is given a chance to, to speak for himself. And sometimes when the tremendous burden of guilt is overwhelming, they will just simply plead guilty. They'll try to have some sort of a plea uh, plea bargain there where they can uh, maybe get a lighter sentence for not wasting the court's time and money. And so uh, when the Apostle Paul brings the whole world then before the this judgment seat of God, what we see is the world stands silent. Verse 19 says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world would become guilty before God. The mouth of the heathen with his idols, it was stopped. The mouth of the hypocrite who stands in his own version of morals and criticism, it was stopped. The mouth of the religious person who is blinded by his own delusions and and the ceremonies, even their mouths will be stopped before the Lord. You see, well, sometimes we think, "Listen, I, I, I don't have to worry. I don't have to uh, to, to about what's coming." Even the French, uh, the French philosopher Rousseau, who was a man who is sh- uh, who shunned uh, uh, being married. He he shunned his own children sent him to an orphanage, and he said, I will stand before God and defend my conduct. Many others echo that statement and say, listen, I can defend myself before God, but the Bible is clear that you will not stand, but you'll fall on your knees and beg for mercy that you would not accept here on this earth. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15, those who were under sin, he says, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And the Bible says that they looked and they found no place for them. Why? Because uh, we see that the, the books were open, and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were in them and death and hell delivered up dead which were in them and they were judged every man according According to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death, And he says, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, as that person stands before the court of God and, that's, and, and stands before uh, the Lord in this moment, and they go through these indictments, if they don't plead the blood of Jesus, they can have no defense. There's no way to be able to say, well, listen, I, I, I went to church. I was married to my wife for 50 years. I, I, I even gave tithes. And, and listen, when there were special offerings, I'd do those things. And I'd, I'd go on the van route, and I'd go soul winning. And I would, I, I would do this to, for my neighbor, and I would help the widow down the street. And, and listen, we can go through our list of quote-unquote good works. But he says, listen, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not underneath the blood. And he said that, yeah, that, and that there is no hope, there is no defense for your life. And that brings us finally to the verdict. If you have no defense, the verdict is easy. Guilty. It's a terrible word. We think about it on a human standpoint. To be guilty means that you will face the weight of that judgment from that judge. And how much terrible, though, when it comes from the lips of God. And it's God who speaks here and says, you're guilty. So in our, in our speech, when we say someone's guilty, we mean that they did this. This is something they did. But when Paul, what Paul meant by this was not just that they did it, but they bear the weight of it. They bear the penalties of it. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Look there with me. He says, For the wages of sin... Is death. All that it's earned you, all that it grants us, is just simply this simple thing of death. That's what we read about in Revelation 20 a moment ago. In Romans chapter nine, 3 verse number 19, again, it says, All the world, it says, is brought unto the judgment of God. Man not only did it, but he must suffer for it because the work of the law can never justify the flesh. Look in verse 20. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. That's a very sad place to leave it. So we're not going to stop there today. Let me just share with you, you don't have to end here. You don't have to stand before God with a guilty verdict hanging over your head. You see, God God offers you something... That is greater than anything I could ever describe. That damning verse that we read just a moment ago from Romans chapter 6 begins with, For the wages of sin is death, but it ends like this. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You see, the story doesn't end right here in Revel- Romans chapter 3. The story doesn't, uh, is really just beginning, and He's offering you life. He offers you freedom. He offers you a pardon. John chapter 3 and verse number 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the reason He can offer forgiveness is because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He bore the weight of your sin for you. He bore the punishment of your sin for you on the cross so that you might be forgiven. And then instead of saying, listen, if you work for it, if you pay enough tithe, if you pay enough penance, if you uh, do the right things, then, then you can have my forgiveness. God doesn't say that in the Scriptures. He says, not by works of righteousness. But instead, according to His mercy. So, how do we receive His mercy? He says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Two times He says it is God's gift to you. Romans six twenty three, Ephesians two nine. He says this is God's gift, and He offers it for you today. And He says, listen, if you will just receive it unto yourselves, then you too can stand before God, not condemned by this indictment, but instead set free and liberated from the terrible chains of sin that bind you. And so today, as we come to this place, let me just share, Romans 3 is a tough place to be. There's none righteous, no, not one. But if, if your Bible's like mine, you have to turn the page. And he says in verse 21, he leaves it with this, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. You know who that is? That's Jesus Christ. He was manifested to us on this earth 2,000 years ago. He came to this earth. He he lived a perfectly sinless life. He bore our sins on Calvary. He uh, died and He rose again from the grave. And listen, no more does death have a sting. No more am I afraid for that last moment I will breathe my last. No more do I have to be fearful of what's ahead. Instead, I am excited because I will meet my Savior, my Lord, my King, my God face to face one day. Not ashamed, but as a son.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?